Happy holidays, everyone. Anthony and I do celebrate Christmas, and this is a special interview where we are joined again with Mr. Stefan, who has some deaf and hard of hearing friendly Christmas music videos available on his Mr. Stefan YouTube channel. We have quick access to these videos posted on our website, educatorsnotrobots.com. If you're interested in adding his music to your COVID friendly holiday celebrations, for this interview, we used a new audio recording platform that we are still trying to work out the kinks with. So when Mr. Stefan speaks, his voice echoes a lot. We apologize for the awkward sound quality, but we do hope you enjoy the content of the interview. But first, here's Mr. Stefan singing Underneath the Christmas Tree, which you can find on his Mr. Stefan YouTube channel. Enjoy. Just was in the 
No one deserves to feel alone during the holidays. If you want to help to make sure that everyone is included, I have created a list of my favorite organizations supporting people with disabilities. Please donate if you can. And I hope that you have an amazing holiday. Yes. All right. Let's go ahead. So Mr. Stefan is back with us because he has some special Christmas things going on. And uh, the first thing is we just watched a little music video um, that he did. Oh, I lost it. Where's this video at? That was it. It's on the Mr. Was Stefan it? YouTube page. Yes. On Mr. Stefan's YouTube page. And I think you also have it linked on your uh, website, which we were just saying is super updated from the last time we talked to you. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I'm so, so excited. excited. Uh, yeah, yeah, so I have a new Christmas music video. It's, um, it's, I'm combining music with American Sign Language to really, you know, hopefully spread some Christmas cheer while also spreading awareness for people with disabilities and just people who are different in general. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, man, yeah. it's definitely a lot of fun. And um, like we were just talking about the hair, uh, <laughs> but if you yeah. haven't seen it yet, you gotta check yes, it out. Yes, if you have not seen it yet, I'm sporting some white, silver hair. Everybody, Everybody loves it more than my black hair. Yeah, you can frost the tip. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You can find the music video on any of my social media. You can find it on YouTube, on Instagram. Facebook at Mr. Stefan online and of course on my website mrstefanonline.com and we'll put yeah. all the links on the blog too so Yay. you can find it well, and can I just say that I'm so excited to be back on Educators Not Robots um, I, I, I am really super inspired by what you guys are doing I think that um, for anybody who doesn't know I was episode one so, so if you have, have not listened to episode one, one. <laughs> <laughs> but, but because I was the first ever guest, I had never heard an episode and I had never heard you guys speak publicly. And so I kind of went in with this blind faith, hoping that it would be good. <laughs> but I'm so inspired by the way that you guys have done this and the way that you're managing your brand and uh, it's just super impressive and also that interview really was my favorite interview i have ever done and i think that's because of you guys because of the way that you sort of navigated my career and and all of the public stuff that i do i i just said things that i normally maybe wouldn't say um, and, and I, I really, really do want clips from, from that interview to play at my funeral. funeral. <laughs> <laughs> look, you know, I think what's cool about it is when we provide, you know, a genuine interest and there's a there's a genuine exchange. And what happens with people so far I've seen is just you can tell um, there's there's an expectation initially about like, OK, you know, this is some kind of presentation i have to do but when when it ends up happening after especially after you know we're in 30 minutes going into an hour it's like yeah, yeah you better relax yeah i love that about you guys is that um you know i think there are a lot of people who might feel like oh I, anybody can do an interview all you have to do is sit there and talk to people 
but you know, <laughs> beyond just the behind the scenes things that you guys are doing, it's one thing to chat with people in real life, but it is such a different ball game to lead a conversation and to lead your guests through you know their question and answer and to do that in front of a microphone and to also at the same time create just a welcoming and engaging situation for your for your listeners that's that takes talent a special kind of talent that a lot of people don't have and I so, can tell yeah. you definitely listened to when I interviewed Rosalie because I gave away <laughs> the fact that she's the one who does that stuff. <laughs> and my role is basically, yeah, I mean, I definitely do my research. I stalk you for a little while <laughs> and I try to find out what's going on in your life so I can be relevant. But in the end of the day, Rosalie's over here putting in the hours. She really does. She puts in the hours upon hours to get it squared away, clean and, and presentable to where you know, it would be interesting for people to look, take, take a look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's, it's so professional. professional. It sounds <laughs> like all the other podcasts, podcasts I listen to. It's, I mean, only better. better. <laughs> well, it'll be even better now. We're using a, a new platform. Um, hopefully everyone hears Mr. Stefan as if he's in the room with us, which he's not, but we <laughs> we don't want it to sound like phone calls anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. It's, it's like, like green, green screen, screen for, for audio. audio. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know about green screen. Do you have, wait, Mr. Seven, do you have a TikTok yet? I do not. I do you know what? I don't think, think I plan to make one. one. I have one so I could watch stuff. I have an, uh, 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 the, the app, app on my phone. phone. Tell me your but feelings on the TikTok and what, what's keeping you back. I, I, I just don't create that kind of content. And, and so it just seems like a... It, it seems like, like it would take a lot of time and energy for me to really put out quality stuff there. And, and I, I think it would take away from what I'm already doing. And so I think I'll ride this train until <laughs> I'm like, okay, I need something new. And then at that point, maybe I'll consider a TikTok. <laughs> well, YouTube is kind of also creating these, I guess, shorts that they kind of stream I don't know how to describe it, but if you're going on a YouTube channel and you're watching a video or yeah. searching on YouTube, there'll be like short YouTube clips that you can kind of look at, which has a similar feel to a TikTok sort of feed, if you will. What do you think about that? Yeah. What's going well, on? I think, I think, I think everyone's going to start, start doing it. I know Instagram has the reels now, and, and, and uh, I think it's going to be pretty much standard. standard. And, and my, my videos, videos are already like that and and so even i have a weekly series on my social media stories and so for anybody who's interested in um, learning more about disability or um, diversity in general i have two weekly series on my instagram stories and facebook facebook stories and that's kind of what i do it's, it's really short videos i'm using sign language and then i put up some cool stuff um for people to see and so it's you know i, I just don't feel like right this moment I need a TikTok, but I do think that that format is going to expand to everything. I, I de- so I have a TikTok that originally was just for me to watch. And then I actually started, um, I've been posting teacher memorials. So teachers who've died from COVID. Yeah. And um, my first one blew up. I was shocked. And now they're not blowing up. I'm like, what? <laughs> but the, the first one at right now, it's like a, a hundred thousand something i don't know but it's oh wow yeah it blew up <laughs> um but you're right it's 
not easy. Like even, and actually the recent ones, the most recent ones I posted on Instagram today, I don't even talk because it was just extra work to talk. It's just like, yeah. I just, I put the picture of the teacher, I put the basic information for like a 15 second TikTok of like, this is who this teacher was, this is how long they taught, this is when they were born, this is when they died. And then, um, and then I did another one that was a little longer, but I, and I put some quotes people said about, about her, cause I thought those were some really important things that people should know. Yeah. But um, it's hard. It's a, it's a, and then to put the captions because I, I wanted to caption it because I wanted yeah. to, to do that. And so you have to type them in and you got to set it. I'm like, how do these people, some of these TikTokers will put out like six videos in a day. I'm yeah. like, what <laughs> in the world? When do you have time to do all this? Yeah, that's, that's a lot. A lot. Um, <laughs> it seems like that's the name of the game for most, uh, you know, content creators. It's just you just have to constantly push out some sort of uh, content. Yeah. yeah. And it seems like, I guess, over time, you, if you, you have enough out there, you basically will hit. And um, I don't know, man. That's a different way to do things. I don't, I don't know if we're really going to be a part of that game, but I think with a TikTok, at least, Rosie can figure out some way to connect and, and have people link into the podcast, hopefully. Yeah. Well, you know, another thing that I think is that TikTok is really trendy and I'm not I'm not really one for trends, you know, because I, I really strongly believe that like um, sort of like a, a timeless and really meaningful work is what's going to last the longest. So in 10 years when TikTok is over, What's, what's going to happen to all that content? You know, it's, it's, it's gone, gone like MySpace. MySpace. And yeah. so, <laughs> but I think like your podcast and the way that, um, you know, just the way that I try to work, I hope, I hope that a lot of my work survives because it's not, I'm not a YouTuber and I'm not a TikToker. I'm Mr. Stefan and I'm wherever I want to be. And so I think that's going to be true for educators, not robots too. It's, you know, you, you should be on TikTok if that helps you. But, but TikTok, TikTok is just a yeah, thing. It's, it's bleeding. bleeding. <laughs> I do wanna, and well, and I do want to kind of say too, like it really isn't about. I mean, we hopefully it'll bring listeners in because I, I my initial one was a little ad for educators, not robots, and then the teacher memorials were not a gimmick to get people to listen. I want to make that clear. I actually. We and we know this it's, um, here in California, San Joaquin County, we are we are at capacity when it comes to our ICUs. We have high rates of COVID spreading. Um, it's been real bad. And there's still um, some districts opened when they were able to get the waiver and they've remained open. I think Manti Unified is starting to pull people back a little couple, like two days earlier than they planned. My district's trying to open up in January. They wanted to open two weeks ago and I was, wow. teachers are furious because we're like, just because you can open doesn't mean you should open. Yes. Red always means red. <laughs> red yeah. means what it means. It means danger. Um, and I, I just remember thinking, like, I don't think people realize that teachers are dying. And actually, that's what happened is I, I was angry and I had just looked at some, like, recent uh, information about um, what's going on with our district. And... And then a story popped up in my feed about a teacher who had died. And then I thought, wait a minute, how many teachers have died? And there's there's hundreds of them. And so 
what TikTok does is it makes it real, like my first one blew up, it makes it real easy to get information out quickly and to as many people as possible. And so, like, my hope with the TikTok is less about drawing in traffic to the podcast and more of, like, telling people, like, teachers are dying. (laughs) Like, teachers are dying. And some of them are young. Some of them are the same age. My parents are young. They're in their 50s. And a lot of the teachers are in their 50s. Yeah. And I'm not ready for my parents to die. Or yeah. I'm pretty sure none of these, not, all the children of these teachers, they weren't ready for their parents to die. Um, the students weren't ready for their teacher to die. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's hundreds of them. And so that's um, that's one of the, the and yeah, it's, and then maybe one day if TikTok disappears, it won't be as important in the future to. Like, yeah, yeah. I feel like it's right now. It's like you all need to understand why teachers don't want to go back, and yeah, you need to understand that the pandemic is real. That's the key thing. I think it's it's consistent with what we're doing here. That's mm-hmm. why I say you know it's a good thing if they do end up coming this way because, mm-hmm. I mean, we're just trying to put out more information about the perspective of a teacher or an educator, and that. That message about what's going on, how how teachers are dealing with COVID, is very, it's very uh, real, and it's it's something we talk about here with our educator guests, and it's mm-hmm. something that we you know I'm glad that you did those those videos on TikTok because it's all about educators and what's going on and in yeah. this world of education. So yeah. And actually, that's a good segue. How how have you been doing during this pandemic? It's, it's been, been interesting. interesting. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think, think I'm lucky, lucky just because, because I had already, you know, s- since I do a lot of public projects and a lot of things using the computer, computer and, uh, you know, I had already gotten used to just different platforms and different ways to use the internet. So, you know, it's, it's rough to be stuck at home. Um, especially during work because then you just never escape Um, and you know it it, it makes me sad for the people who are really struggling Uh, but at the same time we're saving lives in my opinion and you know at the end of the day if we can just get through this and Everybody stop going out and going to parties, and then you know we'll we'll come to the other side and we'll be able to live our lives in whichever way we want. Um, so it's been it's been interesting more so to watch the rest of the world and to watch the people who are really struggling the most and to kind of try to understand and figure out why um it's just been really an interesting time for me well you know i think one of the things that um is so interesting to me what has been fascinating to observe is how many people are like well how do we trust the what's going on with the numbers and how do we know if if we're really going to get sick it's hard to tell like what the science is like do we wear a mask a lot of questions out there but i think one of the things we know for certain that it doesn't need to be proven you can just observe is that yeah. we have uh the icu capacities you know in our hospitals um, yeah completely it's at capacity so if we you know it's, it's as far as you need to go is in terms of like what is the, the true impact yeah is all you need to know is that our hospitals are not able to take on 
the load that yeah. um, the COVID is causing. So, you know, everything else doesn't really, yeah. yeah, you know, it doesn't really concern me so much. I'm like, you know, that's my metric right there. That's the metric that a lot of the, I think the, the best scientists and policy makers are using. It's like, well, can the hospitals take it or not? Yeah. yeah. And the reality mm-hmm. is, no, we can't, we can't. Yeah. Take it. So there you go. And I don't, I don't know, know about, about everybody else in the world, world but it's just, feels like, like it's closing in on me. I, mean, I, I feel like, like it's getting closer and closer, and closer to, to, to me, to, to my personal life and my personal circle every single day. Us too. We yeah. actually are, what is it? You know, like when they talk about the six degrees of separation, like everybody's, so if we use that, we have learned, well, for you, I don't know, but I, we learned of two two people that are one degree separated from us and actually I have a third person I learned about is so it's it's like and this was within the last three weeks that three yeah. people that are only one degree of separation from us that have died yeah. and really mm-hmm, they're, wow. they're, they died and um, it's it's really frustrating um, with everything that, that Tony just shared but also the part that fascinates me is people are forgetting why we were doing this in the first place like going back to March when the whole purpose was to flatten the curve we were trying to keep the ICUs at a manageable level and and the whole idea was if we can flatten the curve we won't have to have closures we won't have to have stay at home orders this is our second time in san joaquin county we're having a stay at home order and it's Mm -hmm. like and then people are complaining like when it comes to the schools like teachers just need to go back to work these superintendents are trying to force us back and it's like if we don't do that we have a better chance of coming back sooner yeah Yeah. it's like all you're doing is playing a game of putting us out there then pulling us back home and then putting us out to work and then pulling us back home yeah a way longer period of time if you would just let everybody stay home (laughs) so we can get back to school (laughs) it's really case in point in terms of it's like exhibit a of of the disconnect between the district and the people do you not understand like yeah how hard is it to see that you, you can't be so set in your decision making that you can't be flexible when the circumstances change it's so it's so so disconnected and and it, that that is just uh, unbel- it's incredible to see like so you guys made this plan how long ago and you're yeah. admitting to it cause, and you're just releasing it now as if as, oh man oh man I, I, I swear and I just don't, <laughs> the part that's always been disappointing for me is I don't know if I've, if we talked about it before but I when going into this in, in March I thought here's our chance we know that American public education is broken and it's been broken it's not serving the marginalized communities you serve in the mm-hmm. disability community it's not serving um, students who live in poverty it's not serving students of color it's not it's there's all these LGBT students are still suffering and and it's like we know that this is not been working so here's our chance no excuses now like it's always Mm -hmm. been like oh we know we need to make the changes but it's so bureaucratic and there's just so many you know it's just going to take a long time now it's like our whole system got torn apart so let's just rebuild something new yeah and now all of these people who have the power to do that want to hold on to what it was before 
So yeah. it's like, oh, no, no, no. So it's never been about the bureaucracy. It's never been about, oh, it just takes time. You never wanted it to change. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I'm seeing, especially in our local local superintendents here in San Joaquin County. They never wanted the system to change. It yeah. serves yeah. them. And that's, what, and that's been my thing is the people who want to go back to the way it was are people who benefited from that system. Yes. Because the people who are struggling in that system, like myself, like yourself, and, you know, people who come from these, these communities I just mentioned, we know that it's not worth saving and we don't want it back. We wanted something new and we had the yeah. chance and we lot, we're losing it. And that for me has been incredibly frustrating. And because, and people have been saying, you know, what's happening right now is the superintendents and people who agree that we just need to come back to school. They're like, see, the pandemic messed everything up. And it's like, no, 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 no. What's happening is it's exacerbating problems that have already existed. Yeah. These problems were always here. And what happened is you can't hide the problems anymore. You, you, you have yeah. to think about them now. The students who are struggling the most are the ones who've always struggled the most. This is yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, this is, yeah. It's like, oh, our students who are socioeconomically disadvantaged are struggling in distance learning. Guess what? They also struggled in person. Yeah. Do you really think bringing them back to your classroom suddenly this time you're going to save them? After yeah. how many years you've been in the classroom? But this is the time that, oh, if I could just get them back, I can okay yeah <laughs> okay white knight okay yeah. <laughs> it's no, no i definitely i feel like i try, try really hard to always be positive and have a you know positive view on the future and and what we're capable of but this past few this past year really has been disappointing it, in, in so, so many, many ways, ways, but it re I, I've, I've lost a little bit of hope. Not that I had much hope of <laughs> <laughs> things being fixed, but yeah, I do believe strongly that this system is not broken. Uh, it was designed to work exactly the way that it does. Exactly. And it was, exactly, it was designed to serve exactly the people that it serves. Mm -hmm. And so, real specifically, this is interesting. Like, this is really my favorite conversation <laughs> I um, so as you know we were in the military before go army beat navy you know so oh. that's where we started and I feel like I had it at a worldview kind of a base a real basic worldview I don't know it, it, that this these types of things never even crossed my mind college educated military officer I get out have a, you know I have a child you know we we, we we raise her up until it's time to go into school, public education. Yeah. And only then, I feel like that's when I became an adult. Like red pig, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, where it's like, you know, leaving the matrix. All of a sudden, every neighborhood I enter, I'm like, huh, I wonder what the property taxes are. I wonder what this does for the school. I wonder who comes to these schools. I wonder if kids that are in wealthier families are getting pulled out of these schools. Any neighborhood, every neighborhood all across the country Anytime yeah. I enter a neighborhood, I think about that now. Because yeah. it's so pervasive. It just, everything is so dependent on what's going on in that school system. Mm -hmm. And you can tell. It's so easy. It's like, oh, this school is being neglected. This school yeah. this school isn't trying to graduate kids. This school, like, you can just get a feel for that community yeah. immediately. It's like, mm, yeah. not many of these kids are going to go to college. I mean, yeah. it's just so that's such a weight to see like all of a sudden to be constantly aware of that and to think before i was like what's the difference between 
you know, coming to the high school I went to and, and the one across, you know, across town or the one in the other city. Yeah. Now I understand, oh, yeah. this was designed. Mm-hmm. It was literally created in response to integration. And yeah. In Prince George County, Virginia, I went to Prince George High School. Shout out Prince George County. <laughs> there was a, there, it used to be the biggest city in that area was Petersburg, uh, Petersburg, Virginia. And it was a very prominent city, had a lot of money going there. Fort Lee, Virginia was right next door. But then once it became integrated, if you go there today, it's nearly 99, 100% minorities. Wow. Everyone has left. And yeah. they all went to where I went to high school. And I was shocked because I'd only, you know, it was, it was what, 20 years later as an adult when I was thinking, I was like, why did we have so many people at my high school that lived in Petersburg but wanted to come to, all the way out to my school? I had no idea. I didn't put it, you know, put two and two together. I was just like, yeah. oh, they must really like coming to Prince George. Yeah. <laughs> no, man. They were not trying to go to this minority district. They wanted yeah. to be around other wealthier whiter mm-hmm. people that's the answer yeah and it didn't it's, ever click until and then all of a sudden boom 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 everywhere i look i'm like dang yeah. this is really what it is well, well yeah and it's, it's, it's even, even beyond the schools you know it's, it's like, like the, the, the nuclear power plants go in the poor community, community because the, the rich people are gonna hold their little city town meeting and protest yeah. you know and and, and there's there so many studies that show that People who grow up in, you know, the ghetto are going to stay there for generations because there's no way out unless some of, you know, it takes such a perfect mix of opportunities for someone to get out of that. It's like you said, it's by design. Like, it's it's mm-hmm. so, when you, when you look into the history, even like I've, We've taken a special interest in looking at the history of Stockton and the district I work in because um, that area, if people aren't familiar, the Lincoln uh, Village area actually had to be adopted by the city of Stockton because Stockton didn't go that far north. Mm-hmm. And um, and so it was like this little experimental village. Unincorporated. Yeah. yeah. It was like a little, and it was like an experiment with uh, the Sims groupie realty or whatever. And, um, and yeah, and so by the time Stockton was ready to adopt, um, there's plethora of evidence that it was a red line city and for, for green, the green indicating that it was homogeneously white and therefore it was safe to invest in because everybody there is white. And so, um, I remember the first time I learned, um, I had a friend, I, she's still my friend. She, she, she moved away, but, uh, she grew up in a house right behind the high school and she was telling me one day. I was talking about, I was like, this, I was like, this is such a, it's always been so amazing to me, this neighborhood, (laughs) all my life that I've lived here. And then she goes, well, you know, all the houses around here have a clause that uh, people of color are not allowed on the property. And I was like, what? And she goes, yeah, one day when I was in high school, she said her parents had the deed out on the kitchen table and she was in high school and she wasn't interested in those things necessarily, but because it was sitting there, she, she was looking at it and then she saw that and she took it to her parents and was like what does that say and it says that no person of color will be allowed on the pro- premises unless they are there f- to provide services or something wow. like that and so um, I was like what and then I, about two years later it, it, a family reported that in the record they had yeah. just they had just bought a house in the Colonial Heights neighborhood and then they went to the record and they're like look what our deed says and it was a Hispanic family so they were like I don't even know if I want to buy this house like yeah. what you know, and obviously it's not legal to enforce those clauses anymore, but it was 
Yeah. And, you know, and and that and that neighborhood's only been there since I think the 1940s. What's wow. crazy is it made the news. It was pretty cool that it made the news. But yeah, these homeowners associations were setting up these racial covenants, and that was a common practice to deny access to, because uh, otherwise it would be considered like a public. Yeah, uh, you know, this is this is public, um, publicly owned. I guess well, what they did was they privately, you know, uh, established these communities so that they could yeah. have these rules, yeah, and it's, it it yeah. was very effective. Um, so <laughs> and it's, it's it's the residuals of those policies have have clearly you know made a mark. Yeah, it's, it's all by design. And so, like you said, it's people who live in these neighborhoods that are deprived of resources um they are not meant to come out that's how it was designed and yeah it's super frustrating because when we talk about we need to do my thing is this system this whole city if we look at stockton it was made by design to do this to minority people so that was a deliberate effort that was made so that means that it takes deliberate effort to destabilize it it's not mm. going to just go away. It was built that way. Yeah. yeah. Very carefully. <laughs> like, yeah. So guess what? It's it's strong. <laughs> it's, you yeah. know, it's it's a it's like a strong fortress that needs to be taken down. And here was this chance we had. Yeah. The whole you know and no. But I think you're right too about you know it's it's, it's so important, important to think about who is benefiting from this mm-hmm. because I think even someone who might go into it with that goal like i'm gonna change this and this is wrong once you start moving up that ladder and making that money (laughs) you know it changes because now all of a sudden you're being affected by it and you're benefiting from this system and all your friends around you are benefiting from this system and i think the further up you go the less inclined you are to try to change it and those are the those are the people who have the power the real power to change it it creates competition like once we we afford opportunities to everyone we're gonna have yeah. more competition, which is a good thing. It's a good thing for the economy. <laughs> like, yeah. If you really care about the economy, then you'll let that happen. But when it, but suddenly it's like, well, wait a minute. But that might affect me personally. What if a more qualified person shows up because now there's more people in the pool? Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, but. <laughs> yeah. You know, it is what it is. So. Yeah. Oh, but it's very sad, sad to see. see. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I really feel like there were so many opportunities presented to us this year, not even just pertaining to schools, pertaining to, you know, racial injustice and um, just in general, the state of the United States of America. I mean, there were so many opportunities laid out in front of us, and it's very disappointing that in a lot of ways it feels like we just scooted right on by them (laughs) (laughs) so frustrating and it's i mean thinking about like taking it back to like those same students who struggle in a regular traditional school year are struggling again more so than their peers and um it's 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 frustrating because it, it for me it felt like nothing changed. I have a lot of teachers who've been teaching for a long time. They're, they they say that they feel like it's their first year again, which I can understand that, especially if they're not tech savvy. I get it. 
but then they also sometimes imply that it's just you know it's just this is so different like i said they'll, they'll blame the pandemic for all the problems and I'm yeah like, but i'm like i've only been teaching for five years but what doesn't feel different is like when we talk about like it, uh, the big thing this is a big thing that's come up oh this bothers me so much <laughs> so uh, some teachers they'll rich when we talk about we shouldn't we we need to just do what we're doing and finish out this year get that vaccine stay home flatten the curve that's what we've been trying to do this whole time is flatten the curve please don't forget that yeah <laughs> and um the response i'll sometimes get is like but the mental health and i'm like okay first of all first of all <laughs> i know a lot about mental health because i invest that was a rabbit hole i've been diving in for five years um and and uh when our district or at least our school site i don't know if it was the whole district but our school site about three years ago hired a consultant to teach us restorative practices and i jumped on that and ever from the first training for three years i do a restorative circle every monday every monday we do it and um <laughs> i've had teach so these same teachers who suddenly are like the mental health whenever we would talk about they would check in so this consultant would come back and check in which was mm -hmm. good because it's to remind you like hey this wasn't a one-off thing like are you doing it these same teachers would be like well no i just have too much to teach and i don't know how rosalie does it there's just i just have too much to teach which i always took as an underhanded yes like because it's like 100 uh, like, <laughs> yeah. oh you like she's clearly like it just implies like what i don't have too much to teach like yeah, yeah. but I, in fact i have more to teach because in addition to english i'm also teaching social emotional learning but okay and you are not so yeah. <laughs> i think i'm yeah. teaching more than you and <laughs> but then like but then it's like suddenly now you care Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. Mental health has been an issue the whole time. Yeah. I know personally because I have a mental illness. I have two mental illnesses. I know that. And yeah. I know and I had them when I was in high school and when I was in middle school. And so it's like so yeah, it's always been an issue. It's still an issue now and it's been an issue then. The pandemic is exacerbating what already existed. The sudden concern for mental health to me from certain people feels very performative. Yeah, because I know for me, I am concerned about the mental health, but I've been concerned about it the whole time. And I can say and my students can say and my colleagues know I'm the teacher who does restorative circles every Monday. <laughs> yeah. And I've been doing it. My students know I'm the mental health teacher. Yeah. I just had a student. He's a sophomore. Never met the kid. He wants to start a mental health club. He emails me and he says, I heard that you're interested in this kind of work. Will you help me start this club? That's how I met him. That's, I love it. that's my reputation so when people have the audacity to turn around and be like but you know the mental health like oh no 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 yeah, yeah. you did where not. have you been now you want to do the, the circles and now you suddenly care because somehow bringing the student to your classroom is going to eradicate their mental health okay yeah again and i think there's just you know i also am I want, I want to be understanding of all the people who struggle with technology and, and, and you know, they, they grew up in a different time and, and all of that. But, yeah, I get the same feeling that it, it, there's just nothing. There's nothing that would satisfy them other than getting back in the classroom because that's all they know. They don't, they don't know how to do the rest of it. And, and you know, I'm sad for them, but that's not... That's, 
It's a also a personal problem. problem. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a personal problem. It's like, you can train. You can train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can train. That's exactly. That's something that can be fixed. Right. Yeah. yeah. And also, education is, especially right now, one of those key terms is growth mindset. Growth mm-hmm. mindset. For teachers and, t- and students. It as well, a, yeah. yeah you, how are you going to teach a growth mindset if you don't model one yourself? Yes. And having a growth mindset means that you're adaptable and that you're flexible and that you know that there is always more for you to learn and you are enthusiastic about it. Yeah. yeah. And and it's and for me like this, has this been hard? Absolutely has this been hard. Any complaints I have are not anywhere in the realm of me having to learn something new. I love learning new things. I've learned a lot of new things. The issues I have are with people making excuses for wanting a mediocre system that only yeah. benefits them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for the most part, it seems like, from what you've told me, the students are prepared to adapt. It's really just the teachers who are having the most trouble with it. Are well, you seeing the same thing, too, with your your students? Are, are there specific issues for you know, your your students with different abilities and disabilities? What's going on with, um, with that? Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely, definitely a little different. different. They, a, a lot, lot of times... times the population that I work with, it's not as easy as log on at 12 p.m. every day and do the readings. You know, it's, it's like so much more step by step and one on one calls. And, um, you know, so I so it's a little bit of a different thing. Um, but I definitely agree with Rosalie. I think that this whole job, you know, the job of being a teacher is you need to be creative and you need to be resilient and you need to be have an imagination and and so it is a little bit as much as i want to understand everybody it's a little bit frustrating to see so many teachers so rigid you know and so just almost like they're throwing a fit about it um and uh, yeah, yeah, but, but I've also seen a lot of teachers who are really struggling, struggling but they're really trying. Yeah. And they're going home crying every day, but they're still determined to do the best job that they can. So that's not who I'm talking about. But I also think there are a lot of teachers who are just being bratty and they just don't want to do it. And they don't see why they should have to. And, and you know, those people are really dragging a lot of the rest of us down (laughs) i mean i feel like those are because what's happening i think this is what's important to understand what's happening is teachers who want to just go back to the way it was enable superintendents and school boards who want to just go back to the way Mm -hmm. it was and it's basically what happens is these are all teachers superintendents and board members who are all part of the same collective that just want things to be the way they were Mm -hmm. as opposed to all this energy is being put in to creating a reality that no longer exists, to saving a reality that no longer exists and was never worth saving. Instead of putting all this energy, all this ideating, all this money into coming up with an innovative way to make distance learning work. Yes. Yes. All that money that was spent on plastic shields that has already been scientifically proven to be ineffective could have been put toward coming up with some kind of plan for the students who we cannot get in contact with. 
-hmm. We could have been coming up with some kind of way to help our students with disabilities, to help our English language learners with something innovative and new and better that would outlast the pandemic, that we would say, wow, we can keep doing this. This is working. So when the yeah. pandemic's over, we're going to continue to use this system that we've never tried before. But instead, we want to bring back something that is not our reality. It's not. Yeah. And, and trying to bring it back is wasting time, it's wasting money, and it's extending the stay-at-home orders. Yeah. <laughs> we're making the stay-at-home orders last longer because we're not social distancing. Yeah. It's just mind-blowing. And it comes back to that unwillingness to learn. Yes. If you don't want to change and adapt and have a growth mindset, then the idea of innovation is terrifying and you just want to run back to your little hole that mm -hmm. protects you and nobody else. And I also think that education is a field where if you're the kind of person who's into this kind of thing, you could really come in and set yourself up to have an easy day every single day and to do the bare minimum and to just do the same thing for 50 years. You never have to plan. You never, you know what I mean? It's such an easy... I'm not going to call out any names. <laughs> That's what, but it's very, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it is a generational thing, I think. Part part of it, right? Yeah. Because, like you guys were both expressing, the biggest issue is among those who are so deeply entrenched in what they've been doing. Yeah. You know, that's really where it is. The children even, I mean, now that I've listened, it's, it's obvious to me that that, that, the kids will adapt as much as the, the teachers are willing to adapt. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And when the teachers aren't capable of adapting, then the children suffer is basically what it, what it sounds like. Yeah. And I think it's going to be clear that this is true in any situation, pandemic, natural disaster, you mm -hmm. know, tests, you know, new tests or whatever, whatever pops up. If you are prepared to make changes to the way you do things according to the needs of the students, that's they're going to be the best that's going to be the best situation but yeah. for the most part i mean there there are those who are simply here to we call them rent seekers in yeah. economics mm -hmm. you just look for that spot and it's like yeah i'm not going to do anything yep i'm just going to take up this space i'm going to yep. fill it and i'm just going to hold on as long as i can and that's it period yeah, yeah. and, and i, I feel like Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> You're our guest. You go first. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I feel like, um, I, you know, I, I agree to, in some ways, it's generational, but I also think it's systemic because yeah. a young teacher can come in and be lazy, and because of the way the system works, and because of how little oversight there is, and how little, how low the expectation seems to be. I think anybody of any age could come in and really take advantage of that system and take take advantage of the fact that they can be lazy if they want to. You know? Again, I'm not going to name names. <laughs> but that is very true as well. <laughs> and I think, I think what's important is to go back to what you said, too. There are teachers who are trying their best to adapt, and um, being resilient can only take you so far in the situation. And that goes back to... Um, the leadership, the superintendents in these school mm. boards. Mm. Um, it's, I, I know I have a lot of teachers that have, I, I really believe my, some of my colleagues came into this field 
adaptable and ready to do big things and they've been beaten down by the system. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed a lot of these teachers were kind of um, in the early stages of their career during the recession and they've been, they were impacted by it in some way and they just seem so demoralized. Yeah. And um, one of the things I've, I've come to realize with some of my colleagues is that when they feel at any point some sense of safety from their leadership, they suddenly want to try something new. Yeah. And so, and I feel like when it's, when it's the administrators, like the administrators at my site, I think they're the ones who get to kind of see that because they're face to face with their teachers and they're like, okay, this teacher's finally coming back to who she once was or who he once was yeah. um, because they make them feel safe. But the superintendents aren't seeing that because they're not on campus. But yeah. if they don't understand that, you have that power. You have mm-hmm. that power to make your teachers and your whole district feel safe enough that they will try new things. Yeah. yeah. Because they know that you're not gonna you're not gonna neglect them or abuse them if they mess up. Yeah. And um and that you're and if you're encouraging it, if you're an innovative leader, superintendent or board, and you're encur- not only are you encouraging it, but you're also providing that safety for teachers. These teachers are gonna come back to they're it's like they're gonna blossom again i feel like i just have so many of these my colleagues that it's like they're like these little plants that haven't been watered or fertilized for a long time and and they're still hanging on it's like can you please just give them some water (laughs) so they can come back it's it's very sad sad. it's sad that it works that way and And i i I had had to learn learn. you know i know everybody's different and and i'm just a weird little man so i i always have my own little weird little thoughts but i decided years ago after being left to dry by my leaders enough times that I, you know, I'm, I think I was saying a little bit when we first logged on that I'm not loyal to any district. I'm not loyal to any school. I, I don't need you because I taught myself not to need you. I became so self-sufficient. You're going to fire me. Okay, cool. Watch me go get another job. I'll do what I do over there and then you're going to regret it. This is what I love. This is what <laughs> but, gives me hope. This is helpful. See, you but a lot of people, people can't do yeah, that. No, you know, they don't have it in that's, them. That's right. Oh. And what? So, and that's something I talk about a lot because I became a, I became a union site rep at my school, and we were talking. I'm with like a really great team of site reps, and um, one of the things I brought up and I try to bring up a lot is, you know, we have we have teachers who need restorative practices because they brought that baggage with them yeah. and yeah. they carry it with them, and they don't even realize it that they're they're still carrying it and that it it impacts their behavior towards their admin, towards their students, towards themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's, and what happens is a lot of times you see the mistake. And if you don't know these people, it's just like, wow, that teacher really just does not care. But I've gotten to know my colleagues that I've seen and over, and some of them I did in the beginning think like, wow, (laughs) like that teacher doesn't care. And then after a couple (laughs) of years, I'm like, no, this teacher does care. They just have so much baggage from being abused and neglected by admin and superintendents yeah. and colleagues, depending mm-hmm. on where they were, that they're just like, I'm just trying to make it every yeah. day. And it's like, these teachers need restorative practices. They need to, to like be, again, they need to be fertilized and watered again. They've yeah. been so deprived of a caring and um, 
not just caring, but like a stable leadership yeah. model, not just at the admin level either. People always like to go right straight to the admin, yeah. but I'm going at the superintendent. Yeah. I'm like, it starts with them, the yeah. board, who you vote for and who they decide is going to be in charge. Those people have so much power to create a safe space for their teachers. And when yeah. they create a safe space for their teachers, guess what? Teachers create safe spaces for the students. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I feel like we... Go ahead. I just feel super like lucky to be in the room when, you know, Rosie's talking about these types of things because I, I didn't know anything about this, but I just assumed that it was, uh, you know, <laughs> a functional organization uh, all the time. But like, well, boy, were you wrong, wrong. <laughs> dude? Like it's so disjointed. I'm like, so wait, so who's in charge? The, the board. And and they so they meet with you guys? No, they only meet with certain people. Oh, okay. So how do they understand what's going on in the schools? Well, they get told what's going on. And then so the admin, at least they're on your side, right? No, they're separate. It's like wait, what? Yeah, yeah. that's how is any of this working? It doesn't make any yeah. sense. That's something I've been still trying to wrap my head around is how admin. I I just so I just learned recently that our admin are at will. So that explains a lot of why they make the decisions or don't make the decisions mm. they make. Mm. Wow. And what's really frustrating for me about that is there's some really well-meaning administrators in this district that are frightened of losing their job. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so they have to choose between taking care of their teachers or keep taking care of themselves. Yeah. And um, and that's crazy to me. And, th and that explains, too, because I always so when I first came into teaching I and I went to my first union meeting. I was like, they were like, okay, we, we can't talk till the admin leaves. And I was like, why? <laughs> like, I was yeah. so confused. I was like, why? And of course, unions were completely new to me because in the military, we don't have a union. We don't, we, we lose some of our first amendment rights when we're in the military. <laughs> like we, so like I was, so it's like suddenly I got all my, my constitutional rights restored when I became a civilian <laughs> and I got the right to be in a union. And then I was like, wait, some people can't be here. What? <laughs> like I was just yeah. like. The whole, the way that setup is, is been, yeah. I'm still trying to understand, like, how are leadership teams on the site, site leadership teams supposed to take care of their teachers mm -hmm. when they're not allowed to talk about certain things and they're not yeah. even allowed to advocate for us? That's the part that's crazy to mm -hmm. me. It's a complete misalignment of incentives. Yeah, like, they can't advocate for their own people. Yeah. Yeah. I just couldn't even imagine. From my leadership experience as an Army officer, if someone came, if, if my, I mean, and I was known for this in the army, if I, if I, yeah, today was the army Navy game. He keeps talking about it. Um, if I like, if, you know, it was a known thing that like, you don't, the only person who has direct contact with your, your people are you. If anybody has anything to say to the people who follow you, they have to go through you first. Um, yeah. and, and your job is to protect them. Like that's what we were taught. And, and sometimes you would have somebody who outranks you, who's like the, your supervisor who might try to go around you and you were well within your rights. You had to offer the proper respect, but to be like, excuse me, if you ever have anything you need to say to one of my soldiers, you can tell it to me. Yeah. yeah. Sir. So it's just crazy to me that like that to not have any kind of power to protect your people mm -hmm. in the education system ownership. blows my mind. Yeah, yeah I, I think, think it's, it's on purpose. You know, I think it's confusing on purpose. And they do try to scare you, you know, especially so. I know that you don't do IEPs, uh, but IEPs are legal documents. So we're writing the law. 18, 18 times, times a year, year 
and when, when you have someone who's you know opposing you like a parent or you know whatever it it, it, it can become a legal issue right and um and i've had situations where i was clearly not in the wrong um and i I'm not going to say who, what, when, where, but there was a situation where there was a parent who literally spent, she must have spent every waking hour trying to destroy me. And it went far beyond professional. It was like my character. It was, it was everything. She just wanted what she wanted and she was going to fight for it. And because she knows she's smart. She knows that those people, when push comes to shove, are not going to have my back. But I didn't back down because I'm not about that life. I'm not loyal to anybody who does who isn't loyal to me. And so that was around the time when I started to find my strength and I started to find my own footing and I was doing public stuff. And um, so I already felt like, okay, well, uh, I'm Mr. Stefan, and so um, you can F off. Um, and I... Truly, I took on the district by myself because not one person stood behind me, literally not one. And all through that process, I mean, I was meeting with people from way up who wouldn't even look at me otherwise, but because I was, you know, there might be a lawsuit, everybody, oh, I don't know if you can hear my Alexa's talking. I was like, who's there? Um... Shush, Alexa. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so all through that process, though, multiple people tried to, oh my gosh, hush, Alexa. I feel like I hear her talk and then I hear her echo in your thing. Let me see. Shush. Don't worry, we'll take this part out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got, got it. it. I think. Um, but, but anyway, all through that process, it was, I spoke to everybody. I spoke to lawyers. I spoke to the district office. Everybody. And I just stood strong. And I don't think they knew what to do with me because they're used to people who can be scared into submission. And, and that's, that's how they operate. operate. That's truly, yes. literally how they keep it the same. Mm-hmm. Is that I would say most people are scared. Yeah. They're scared to lose their job. Or they're scared because that's their boss. And you don't talk to your boss that way. Or, you know, just, and I think every time I said no, they brought in somebody higher. And every time they brought in somebody higher, I was like, I'm not impressed with you. And so it was just, you know, but imagine if that was somebody else who used every ounce of strength to say no to their boss. So then they're like, well, we'll bring in the bigger box, the bigger boss. And then it's like, well, I already used all my strength for that first guy. Exactly. And I and that's absolutely true. Like, that's what I see. It's a culture of fear. And that's mm-hmm. what I tell my husband all the time is a culture affair. And I've tried to talk to some people that I work with about it. And they're like, what do you No, It's not. And then I realize, oh, no, wait, some of them are part of the culture affair, So they can't see it. Like when you're in it, you can't see it. Mm-hmm. And so that's been kind of an interesting thing, too, is trying to I was like trying to point out like, hey, look, like, you know, like all these things happen. The uh, people will share their stories of their journey and teaching. They've who've been teaching way longer than I have. 
and then I'll be like, well, yeah, well, look at all that stuff. Like, no wonder you're afraid of all yeah. these things. And then in some cases, some, some of them will be like, oh, I never thought of it that way. But most of them are just like, no, no, no. It's because they, you know, it's not because um, they feel their fear is, is justified to continue. If that makes mm-hmm. sense, like they, instead of just being like, oh, like, let me think about that. And maybe once you acknowledge it, you can start to strengthen yourself again. But in this case, it's just like, nope, I need to keep running on fear because it's the only way to make it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's easier. It's easier. You know? Because if it's, if it's all you've done, then mm-hmm. it's like this is your your it's like muscle memory. It's just this. This works. It's been yeah. working. It and keeps me really the, the amount of work that, that I had to do just to defend, defend myself. myself. Yeah was insane you know know, i i could see how for somebody else who's like i just want to fly under the radar i don't want to worry about this could be just like you know what just i'll do whatever you say because i just don't want to i don't want to deal with this i just want it to be easy i want to go back to my classroom i want this lady to shut the f up and so i get it you know it's hard it's hard they make it so hard to stand, stand up and defend, defend yourself. And, and they, they make, make it such a long, drawn-out process. Mm-hmm. I mean, it all boils back down to competition and whether or not you really embrace it, including when it might put your situation in jeopardy. Yeah. It's interesting, okay, we'll go back to the military again, but you wanted to train the people around you to be able to replace you. That was the whole mm-hmm. goal. Because if you could do that, that means you were doing a good job. You yeah. wanted to make yourself replaceable. That was the purpose. So you could be so you could leave and move on. Yeah. But that mindset is not present in those who are rent seeking, which again, it's when you want to take up a space that exists and and just be a part of what exists. Yeah. yeah. When you are a creator like yourself and like the people we talk to mostly, these educators that are our guests, they are trying to do new things. Yeah. And that shakes everybody up. It's like, oh mm-hmm. you Troublemakers. Yeah, you guys are trying to do stuff. How are you doing stuff? Well, the reality is you are doing what is actually healthy for an organization. You're doing what we should expect everyone to do, which yeah. is to create something, add a, add something, value to this organization, not by just taking up a spot in it. Yeah. yeah. You have to grow the organization, grow the value of the organization. And I feel like it's just such a weird thing to see the mindset of people who don't think they need to do that they're yeah. like no yeah. i don't need to grow it i just need to be a part of it and but it, that's the majority yeah and that really is the and, and and part of it too though to be fair is that a lot of people don't have the safety in their resources in their support systems in their yeah. whatever their financial circumstances are that aren't allowing them to you know take risks but yeah a lot of them do a lot of them do have the that type of resource so it's it's such a difficult thing to to promote if your organization doesn't have that culture already existing inside of it to st- yeah. suddenly be like, OK, everyone, we're going to flip the script here and everyone has to start creating stuff. Yeah, it's difficult. That's why I really encourage, you know, anyone who's trying to break out into developing their own thing, developing your own brand. I think, uh, like you said, you're going to be here after MySpace, after TikTok. And those teachers that know how to do things correctly will be here after in person, after, you know, online. They're gonna Coronavirus. they're gonna yeah, they're yes. gonna outlive <laughs> and and be more productive than anyone who say, Well, I just wanna choose this one medium 
yeah. Yeah. live live within that you know that little box, mm-hmm. and it's just it's not going to be the best situation for anyone. They'll never grow. The community won't grow. The children obviously aren't going to be growing as as much as they could. Yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah, when I'm when I'm when I'm around you, educators that are so just up to up to no good <laughs> up to that necessary trouble that good trouble good trouble that's I what just one of my get friends excited says. man i'm yeah. like dang my you know there's hope there is a chance we so you're saying there is a chance that's what i feel like I it fires that. me up I have, a, I have a counselor friend I work with who's always telling me that. She's like, we got to do that good trouble. <laughs> I love it. A little bit about the good trouble. <laughs> so I think it's time we switch things up. I want to I wanna interject here. I'm going to ask that you provide some insights into um, the Netflix Deaf You because I'm sure oh. you had some time to binge watch it like we did. We watched the whole thing. Did you? Did you? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm so, so bad, bad I didn't, I didn't watch, watch it. Oh. Um, <laughs> I know. Um, well, I. So, so I'll tell you. What are you feeling? You this is, yeah, this is not like my only reason for why I didn't watch it. Um, but I did read a little bit about it. Um, and I think there were some issues with. Uh, Representing only maybe not having a full a full spectrum of different kinds of people and and so um, I don't know so I just I haven't gotten around to it yet but what do you guys think so actually the reason the reason we actually watched it was because after Ashley and I became friends because of you I love it. <laughs> and she was she was talking about it on her Facebook and I was like oh what is this um, it also explained some things in the interview that weren't there were some when we talked to her about Galladay she she kind of I noticed there was a resistance to talk more about it and then and then she she shared some of her experiences and I was like oh okay no wonder like I didn't yeah. realize I didn't know, of course, because I'm a, I'm, I still am destabilizing the ableism that has been conditioned in me. So I don't pay attention to things like that. But so I watched it, told him about it. Super interesting. Is Um, it? I mean, I mean, for us, especially because we we learned so much about. When you're in the hearing world and you get to see that, that much access, it's really eye opening. And I think, um, I think. It was a small group that they followed, and I think the intent is each season they'll follow a different group. I'm not sure ah. the same people will be. So maybe over time it'll become more diverse. Yeah. Um. So, but overall, like, I mean, I learned more about what what Ashley was discussing on her Facebook about the culture at Galladay with um the uh, the, the deaf elites. the deaf elites. Yeah, I didn't even know that was a thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize, you know. Um, that there was like a a, almost a case system within the deaf community but i guess it makes sense like we live in a case system and so even the most well-meaning communities are gonna get that poison yeah (laughs) um and so but then i but then what was interesting too is and i think the documentary didn't touch on this enough from what i read because i started reading about it after but i guess the deaf elite thing is not as horrible i guess so so one of the things i said is and if people don't know so the deaf elite is like it's people who were born into deaf families usually their parents are both deaf so they from birth were taught how to communicate with sign language 
they were completely immersed in deaf culture because their parents were also deaf. They might even have other family members who are deaf. And so, and what happens is these these legacy families go to Gallaudet continuously. Their parents went, their grandparents went in some cases. Um, and so, um, and so what happens is they kind of become a little clicky at the university and then people who the rest of America <laughs> and, and all the, and deaf people who have to deal with not being immersed in their own culture and they actually have a culture shock on campus. And then these, some of these cliques don't make it any easier. And, um, but what some people, what I, what I read about is that it's not all just snobbery and elitist. Like there's that some of the, some of the deaf elite families have done a lot for the deaf community because they have, um, kind of developed a sense of pride in being deaf and coming from traditionally deaf families and help, you know, they, they're the ones who advocate for a lot of the things that you start to see, um, in schools for deaf community, because these families are strong. They're middle-class, sometimes upper-class, strong families who are strong in their culture. So they have the ability to fight for, for good things to happen that benefit everybody. Yeah. Um, so it's not so I think that was one of the complaints I saw that it, it focused too much on the bad side of it and not enough on the benefits of these these legacy families. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the whole thing to us was just so fascinating. And and then the people are also really funny. Like I think kind of like kind of like with your like good personalities. Well, I think it's kind of like with you, like you, how you talk about, like, it's important to kind of play the pop culture game. So they yeah. definitely, as a reality show, they kind of followed a little of like, we're going to follow the most interesting people. Okay. <laughs> so you know what I mean? And yeah. They, they were interesting people. What <laughs> <laughs> was so good about it was just the fact that it put deaf culture out there for yeah. a lot of us who don't know about deaf culture. Yeah. And it just, it really was a primer in that, it, you know, gave us the one-on-one basic breakdown of like little things like you wouldn't think to really um learn about so for, i i love this example but like how oftentimes you can get nicknames like people will give others nicknames oh, based off of language. what their appearance is in sign language <laughs> yeah. and everyone knows who they're talking about yeah yeah so like sign I mean, names yeah sign yeah name, sign yeah. names i love that i was like man i didn't know that i wonder what mine would be <laughs> yeah no, i do so i do because yeah that so i was just thinking that kind of tails on what i was thinking right now is because i have a deaf sister mm -hmm. i did learn about the sign name because when she when we first learned that she was deaf me and um my parents and some of my aunts and uncles we all went to a deaf class and it was a deaf teacher and his his nickname was Goofy. I remember his sign name was Goofy. He's all because I'm a goofy guy, and he was. He was so funny, and um, and so like that's something I learned. But still, like there was so much I didn't know. And of course, I'm sitting there when I talked to Ashley. I was feeling this, and then when I'm watching, and and I was like, man, like I have a deaf sister, and I didn't even know like. Mm -hmm like 90% of this stuff, <laughs> you know, yeah. like I just like, and I, but then kind of with what Ashley taught us, my sister might not know some of that stuff either. And, yeah. and so, you know, because she's immersed in a hearing world yeah. and um, it's just such a fascination. I think it really, I think it, it, it does definitely for people like us, it taught us a lot about that community. Um, I can see where some of the problematic things happen because I went and I read, you read it before you watched it. I read all the stuff after. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. But I do kind of have hope that each season they'll just, 
get better and better. I feel like some shows do that. that yeah. And I think the, I mean, oh, what's really cool that I learned is the majority of the people who work on the show, so the camera people, the lights, the sound, they're deaf. So oh, they nice. were saying, like, for a lot of those people, they were like, it was the first time they'd ever worked in a predominantly deaf staff. So wow. that was really cool for them. Um, yeah. So I, I should watch it. It, it, it sounds, sounds like, like you guys are recommending, recommending it. it. Yeah, I, I actually played it on my account just so that Netflix could have the numbers, but I didn't watch it because I was just like busy and I was doing other things. Um, but I'll have to, I'll have to do that for over sure. winter break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give it a try. And uh, the, I don't know if he's a creator or just a producer, but um, yeah, I don't know if you guys probably already know this, but um. His, His name is Neil, and he is he was on America's Next Top Model, model and he was already famous on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's right. That's, that's cool too. Yeah, yeah, he's, I don't know if you knew he's that. doing yeah, he something with his platform. platform you know? He was like, because he was like the first deaf person on Next mm-hmm. Top Model, right? Or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He was, and then he now he does this work, which I think is really awesome too. That he yeah, yeah he's able to use the, his platform, um, and that he's. I think he's really trying to educate the community and I don't think, and I think one of the things too, um, I remember reading this about Mindy Kaling actually, because I'm a huge fan of Mindy Kaling. What happens I think sometimes is when you finally get a person who's a member of a marginalized community that's severely underrepresented, you finally get someone, suddenly it's like either they do it perfect or that it's, it's going to be a bust, you know? And I think it's like, no, like, you know, white male producers of shows don't get that same kind of scrutiny and they're constantly yeah. making terrible shows, you know, yeah. all the time. Yeah. Worse than this, you know. What's wrong is not that he's going to share it from his point of view, but he can't represent his whole community. Yeah. You know, he's one yeah. person and, and, and society, our society especially, does it. We put the burden of educating the community or getting it right the first time at 100% on one person and it's like, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. <laughs> like, everybody's different, just like everybody else. And so hopefully it'll, I think the hope is always that it'll start to get more, in this case, deaf people working in, you know, film and TV and, yeah. you know, because that's, that's what's going to really. Well, just an interest in the culture, I think, was really good. Like more yeah. representation in general. That's yeah. what I, I really, I'm more aware of ever since our conversation, actually, I was like, Man, we never see any kind of different people with different abilities. <laughs> yeah. Then just recently, my kids are watching the, the there was another thing on Netflix. Um, I don't remember the name of the, the movie, but it was a a Christmas movie where there was an elf, and her name's Noelle, and I think she's a lady from. She's in a lot of movies. I think her name's Kendrick Anna Kendrick. Oh, the but she sings. She, yeah, from the sing song. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, she uh. There's a scene in there where she meets with a, with a, a deaf child, and she's a she's a, a clause, she's like Santa's daughter. Oh, so nice. she doesn't know she can sign, but she just starts signing with her. Oh, wow! <laughs> and it was really cool. I was like, oh, that was nice. There's that was a, a good exchange. There's yeah. another show that um, our daughter was watching. She watched it for a second time, and I mm. can't think of it now because I want I want people to to check it out. Mm. It was, but it was a show, and I think it's filmed. It was about the dog, the little boy with the dog that talks to him. Oh, gosh. Anxiety dog? Yeah, it was anxiety. So it's about a little boy who has anxiety disorder. 
And so his, his family gets him a dog to cope, and he has to take the dog to school. And the dog's a little troublemaker. <laughs> and and um, and so That's like, he, well, he, he doesn't talk to the boy. So we as an audience can hear the dog talk. That's right. Um, That's right. right. And then... So anyway, so you have the, the main character is a boy with anxiety disorder and he has panic attacks and all the things like they go through the whole and I have anxiety disorder. So I was like, wow, they do a really good job of like educating people on anxiety disorder with this show. <laughs> One of the people he makes friends with is a little girl who's wheelchair bound. And then she's like one of the smartest kids in the school. And she's also like very um, she's very strong willed and stubborn. So she's like, cause she looks like a small, like real tiny little skinny legs and skinny arms, little girl. But then when, when people try to like, even look at her the wrong way, she's just like, no, we're not going to do this. (laughs) So she's like this really strong willed character. And so I just, and I remember like, as my kids watched the show, I was like, this is such a, Uh, it was a good show. It was such a good show. Sorry, Netflix. We can't name any of these shows. Apparently it's like, (laughs) really, I'm I'm going to look it up. It's, it's like the amazing the whatever the dog's name is have you seen anything new um are you are you are you uh binging any good shows anything that you're into right now at the moment Uh, ability ability related or not (laughs) you know know, it's it's really really hard for for me to watch watch tv just just because i'm always doing doing crazy crazy stuff stuff. (laughs) (laughs) but But i I, I do have some a couple of good recommendations for anybody who's interested in like ability centered programming atypical is good oh yeah that's, That's the show, show on Netflix, Netflix uh, about a, a, a young man with autism. autism. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a show called Born This Way. Way. It's, it's on the A&E Network, network. No, uh, but you can watch it on, you can buy it on YouTube, I think. Mm-hmm. And that is a reality show um, starring all people with Down syndrome. It's really cool. I mean, I liked it a lot. It's, of course, it, I mean, it's reality TV, so it's not like the most mind-blowing event of your life, but it's fun. And, and it's, it's just such a new kind of like deaf view. It's it's, it's yeah. a new take on reality that really is providing access to a new, yeah. you know, a new group of people. That's what we need more just laid back, fun stuff. Yeah, people in it. That's it. So first, the show is called The Healing Powers of Dude. For anybody who has children, definitely recommend oh. it. The Healing Powers of Dude. So really good show. And then, have you seen what was the first the name of the first one you said about autism? Atypical. Okay. There's remember the show oh about love? Yeah, have you seen one. the one about I think it's like love and autism and it so it follows oh my gosh. I'm oh dating, dating on the spectrum? spectrum? Yeah. Dating on the spectrum. That's I have, I've, I've seen, seen it on my, my menu, <laughs> but, but I haven't watched, watched it. it. It's really nice. Oh, is it good? It, yeah, it's heart, good too. It's just heartfelt. That one also had, again, I read some things after, and there were some people who pointed out things that they didn't really like again. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I just like, yeah, there's always room for improvement. There's always, yeah, yeah, there's always room for improvement, especially when it's the only one. Like, if we had more shows like yeah. this, then... That's what I think. One show would cover what the other one missed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's clearly going to be some big mistakes being made right when now. When you're the only one, that's, yeah. like, that's the problem. I actually did some... Live events like, like right, right around the time when Atypical was just coming out. It was a few years ago, and um, I did these like kind of like these small Q and A sessions, and freaking everybody asked me about that show. And there were a lot of people who just wanted to know my opinion about it, and um, 
and a couple of people were just highly against it and they you know just for that reason they were saying well I, we feel like it um is like a really hollywood washed down and you know kind of generic representation but it's like well yeah it's uh Filmed in Hollywood. Yeah, I'm so sorry, but <laughs> but and I think what I, I think what I remember because we watched it a while back, and my memory is so terrible these days. But I I think that what people and I actually was kind of thinking it when we were watching it, and then I read and I was like, okay, I wasn't the only one. There's so what they they follow these these people who are going on dates and their date and they're trying to go through all the motions of going on social media or using dating apps. Um, there's consultants that will help people with autism find love. And, and um, what they would do is they would go on the date and we would see the date and then they would do, um, oh, that's what it was. Every time they'd introduce a new person, they would do like a quick rundown on the person so they'd say what their name was and then what their interests and then they would they would also list um what was it it was like they'd list their ticks um. they would list um their it was kind of it was kind of on it was what what people had a problem with and what I thought it when when we get into the 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 area of tokenizing or right. like right. um people with disabilities and using them as like a way to make ourselves feel better. And mm -hmm. it, that's what it kind of was. Like it was kind of, cause it would show like uh. their, it, it would show like their dreams or something. It was something like that. Like where it would make you feel sorry for them. Got basically. it. Basically. Yeah. And it was kind of, I was kind of like, why is that part necessary? It was kind of cute. Sometimes they would share something about them. And I was like, Oh, that's cute. But it really had nothing to do with the storyline. Yeah. And it, and that's what, and it did kind of feel like they were just trying to kind of, you know, cater to that desire that generally society has to feel some kind of sympathy or pride in a in a person with a disability finding you know trying pretending to be like one of us you yeah, know yeah yeah, yeah yeah what was the interest in those those um what you call them live events that you were going to that people were asking about like your opinion on on the atypical show like what were they really i guess just what was the biggest complaint about it just just, that was the biggest one, is, is um, and, and it was just in one of the sessions, and there were these two girls sitting together, and, um, and I, and I normally, you know, per usual, I, I, my audience isn't teachers, it's not, like, special education people, and so usually when I do stuff like this, I'm talking to the general public, like, people who just wouldn't, otherwise think about it but i think one of those girls had a brother who had autism and i think that's why she had such a strong opinion and so i'm not sure if um you know maybe she was just excited to talk about it and they, so she wanted to start a little you know <laughs> disagreement or something but i wasn't i wasn't in disagreement i i do acknowledge, you know, you know anything, anything we see on TV, even the shows that I recommended today, um, every one of them is going to have a little bit of, but every one of them is going to play on something, and but that's true for any show, you know, the show about, I just watched 
Selena, Selena the series, and it was highly, highly disappointing. disappointing. Yeah. Um, oh, I, but, uh, <laughs> I heard that it was disappointing. It was highly <laughs> the highest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but even, you know, even, even shows, shows like that, that it's like you play up the Mexican-American part and you play up the, you know, it's just, that's, that's just what it is. That's what it is when you are storytelling. Um, you know, even I think podcasts are storytelling. You're not, you don't want to know about what I ate for dinner last night. You know, you're, you're, whatever is going to be the most engaging and entertaining, how can we turn this story into something that people are going to love? And so... I don't, I don't disagree, disagree. you know, I, I, I do think that, especially probably for these um, groups that have been excluded and oppressed and all of that, we're going to go through a period where once we're finally on TV and finally in movies, it's going to be a little bit of a joke and a little bit of trying different things and a little bit of being disrespectful maybe on accident. And so... It just is what it is. <laughs> I like that you're, you're kind of willing to give give that sort of, I don't want to call it forgiveness, but understanding is all it is. Because yeah, I, think I think the bottom line is when you think about what they're trying to do, I mean, they are trying to share. They're trying to share the story. Mm-hmm. And that to me is what it really what really matters. Yeah. Where, where there may be problems and in, in, representing things accurately and or representing them in a respectful and tasteful way i think they make up for in the fact that they are sharing this information with people who otherwise wouldn't know and i'm just glad like maybe that makes someone think what well they kind of did that weird what's the real deal behind that yeah i don't really understand well, and they're, they're, to say that. they're, they're paving, paving the way, way you know because nobody else is doing, doing that that's all it exactly. is that's and so but it reminds me too of what rosalie was saying because you know, I, I, it felt like you were almost disappointed in yourself for not knowing more about the deaf community. But, you know, it's just, I feel like we're humans, you know, and, and we can't know about everything in the world. And so I, I, it's very rare that I'm, like, mad at somebody or that I just write somebody off because they're not maybe as inclusive as I would like them to be or because they say something offensive about somebody that I work with or about me, you know, even when it's me, because I have a lot of things to pick on too. And, you know, I just think you are who you are and you can't know everything. And so that's why my thing has always been, I just want to share what I know. And hopefully that can inspire you to do things differently or do things better or learn more but that's really just it's the best thing and it's the only thing that any of us can do is just try and try to be better and um you know if you did offend somebody well then next time hopefully you don't make that same mistake (laughs) i love that message and i think it's a good place to to stop because we're being an hour and a half now and oh. I just want to say that you are inspiring, and I'm a huge fan of yours. Oh, thank and, you. Uh, that, I'm a huge fan of That beautiful closing statement you just made, I think, is just really reflective of like what we need, really in this in this community, in this in this country, in the world, and and that's what I have hope for, man. I really feel like you are. You're one of the leaders that I'm looking forward to seeing. The more you create, and uh, 
I just, yeah, we need to keep it up. Let's let's, uh, let's do this again a couple months from now. I'm <laughs> down. <laughs> well, well, for, for anybody who is interested in learning more about being, being inclusive, inclusive um, during the holidays or beyond, uh, I just want to remind everybody that I do have my Christmas music video. It's on um, my website. It's on all of my social media. Uh, the music video is super fun. I'm doing sign language the whole time. I'm um, pulling out all the stops. It was in a green screen studio. I'm like, yeah, I turned the sign language into like dance choreography. So it's fun. But also, uh, more importantly, no, no matter, matter where you watch the music video, you will have immediate access to my personal donation guide. So, so for anybody who's interested in donating money during the holidays or really any time, I made a list of my favorite, favorite inclusive organizations that support people with disabilities. Um, there's a wide range on my list, so you can check it out and see which ones speak to you. And, and then, then, of course, for anybody who doesn't have money to donate, which I know is a lot of people right now, I have two separate um, lists for you guys. So I have, I have one blog that's like my tips, my easy, super, super easy tips for how you can be more inclusive of people with disabilities during the holidays and beyond. And then I have a separate one that's specific for people who are deaf or hard of hearing. So all of that is up right now on all of my online platforms, and it's all in one place. If you find the video, then all of that information is in the little comment section down below. Don't forget to comment on Mr. Stefan's beautiful hair. My white hair. Yes, sir. Excellent. Yeah, yeah and thank, thank you guys, guys so much. This, this has been so much fun, fun and you guys are the best. You're the best. Thank you so much again for listening to Educators Not Robots. And as always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to whatever podcasting platform you're listening on. I know we've been on a hiatus, but we do intend on continuing this programming into the next year. But before we go, we just want to give you one more rendition of Mr. Stefan, this time singing All I Want for Christmas. Enjoy and happy holidays.